0: Hey guys, this is Eric Schuster again, happy to do another podcast. It's been a while since I did one of these. Uh, life is busy and these podcasts take a lot of work, a lot of preparation. Um, but this was a really fun one, so I got the chance to talk to Paul Spate a couple days ago. Um, Paul Spate works for the Peninsula Rescue Mission, um, and I met him uh, maybe two or three months ago and we talked about um, he gave me a tour of their building and showed me what they do we talked about homeless and um, their strategy for addressing uh, people who are experiencing homelessness as um, they like to to phrase it which i think is cool and then we also talked about this book that he recommended that i read which i read and i we talked about this in our conversation but the book is called the tragedy of american compassion by Marvin Alasky, and it's basically a history book that talks about how America uh, in the past has viewed compassion and their strategies for helping and dealing with the poor and and the outcast and those who need help. And um, it really outlines how our perspective has changed over the last, you know, 300 years. And how we used to view compassion differently. We used to view uh, the responsibility of the individual differently. Um, and so I wanted to, to, to kind of understand our conversation a little bit. I just wanted to go over a couple things from this book. And then um, I'll dive right into our, our conversation from from yesterday or from uh, two days ago. Um, so a couple things from this book um, in how they viewed compassion and how they viewed charity is um, it was very important for them to know the poor individually. They didn't like the separation of bureaucracy. They didn't like uh, giving charity to someone and then not getting to know them. Like they thought that, that we had to know the poor on a personal level in order to help them. So that was one thing. Another thing that they um, kind of, as a society, believed in is that the the most important need of the poor was um, to learn about God and God's expectations for man, namely hard work, uh, not being lazy. They really viewed slothfulness and and not working as wicked. Like it it wasn't a morally neutral uh, topic for them. Another thing that they put a lot of emphasis on is uh, that sometimes it is important to withhold charity at times, which, you know, today, at least in our culture now, I think some people probably agree with that. I think if you had asked me prior to reading this book, I would have said, yeah, I think I think so. But uh, the book takes a, a pretty hard stance on that, maybe, maybe too far. It's possible that our ancestors in colonial times were uh, a little bit too strict, possibly, but I think they were certainly closer to the mark than, than where we are now. Another really major point, that the book makes uh, which I thought was really interesting is that our our ancestors had a much a much more theologically correct view of man's sinfulness they, they didn't expect someone who was being given charity to just naturally want to work they assumed that if someone could get free stuff and not have to work, that they would take advantage of that. And so that that was their expectation of people. So they worked very hard not to enable uh, people to, to do that. They viewed it as enabling someone to sin. And I think that's a concept nowadays about the understanding of man's sinful heart that we have gotten wrong. And you see it play out in a lot of different areas, not just giving to the poor, but um, the way we look at politicians oh they're they they have our best interests at heart or the media oh they're just trying to get to the truth and maybe they're biased but they're trying to do the right thing i think if we had the correct view of man's sinfulness i think he would give us a much wiser interpretation of the world so yeah so the book again is the tragedy of american compassion uh it's a it's a it's a history book and it's got tons of footnotes at the end his end notes of all his sources and stuff like that uh, but it's only it's 220 pages you know and i underlined quite a bit of it as i went through like it, it was it was not dry a lot of really good quotes from from pastors and politicians and stuff back in the day so i recommend that anyone read it for sure like it was uh, it was a great book and so yeah so now we'll jump back into my conversation with paul Paul, you are the Development Coordinator? Director of Development. Director of Development Mm -hmm. for the Peninsula Rescue Mission. Yeah. So just tell us about the Peninsula Rescue Mission and what you guys stand for and what you do.
1: Yeah, so we are a ministry to homeless men uh, in downtown Newport News. We've been serving homeless men on the peninsula as a whole since 1966. Uh, We were birthed out of the uh, Union Mission over in Norfolk our founder, our Reverend Jim Lindley, left there, came to the peninsula to start a similar work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are our own entity, our own organization, but he answered that call in 1966, 50, you know, what, 55 years ago? And, uh, and since then we've been serving homeless men at no cost to the taxpayer, You know, fully donor supported, so it's been, been a wonderful work these 55 years.
0: That's awesome. So what is your role with the Peninsula Rescue Mission?
1: Yeah, so my role is primarily the funding of the ministry. Uh, and so I see my area of ministry is to the donors. You know mm-hmm. we have staff that work with the men uh, to help help guide them and, and lead them. And I see my role as serving our our donors and our supporters, you know, sharing with them updates of how their contributions are changing lives. Um, you know, but also on a strategic level, I'm you know responsible for meeting the n- and resourcing the needs that the ministry has to
0: hit our goals. Mm-hmm. So, what, what are some of the services that uh, the Peninsula Rescue Mission provides specifically for the community? Yeah, so you
1: know, for the, for the men, we run a 40 bed emergency shelter. So that's for short time, short term uh, needs. You know, so if a guy is finding himself without shelter, uh, we have six beds open every night for, for new guests that come in. Uh, so that's one aspect of our program. And then out of that population of 40, every now and then we run into a guy that needs a little bit more time. And so we offer a six to 12 month recovery program, we call it our Overcommerce program. Um, and so as the men come into this, this long term program, they're given a work assignment. And they're offered room and board in a separate area, you know, a separate building. Um, and we ask them to commit to five months of working for us. Uh, utilize your work assignment to just build a healthy rhythm of getting up, spending time with the Lord, going to work. Uh, but also use that five months to just think through and plan what the next stage of your life looks like. And then at the you know, the last months of their program, we let them take time off to go apply for work, look for jobs, and that kind of thing. Um, that That's probably 80% of the ministry we do. Mm-hmm. Um, today, uh, we just distributed 173 boxes to families in the Newport News and Yorktown school systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a ministry that's been going on for a couple of decades now, just serving needy families at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then next month we will do a uh, Christmas assistance program as well uh, for a lot of those same families, just Providing toys and and, uh, and things like that for for these families in need, mm-hmm. um, and then probably our second biggest ministry is Camp Open Arms. Uh, so that's you know every summer we come over here to to Surrey and go to the the Edge Camp, mm-hmm. and we bring you know up to 128 kids uh, each summer through this camp, um, and just love on them and let them have a good time and get away from. Uh, a lot of difficult home
0: lives that they they're, they're in, but just let them be kids for, for a week. Gotcha, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and it's is it only men, or you guys are expanding to families also, right?
1: Yeah, we just uh, recently announced our big plans to open the P- PRM uh, Women's Emergency Shelter, and so you know, if I, if I jump ahead, forgive me, but this the, some of the data that we collected from the peninsula. Uh, We found a gap in services to to homeless women, uh, particularly homeless women that are considered unaccompanied females. So these are women who are homeless, who do not have kids, no
0: kids, no husband, no, Mm
1: -hmm. and who are not in a domestic violence situation. Okay. So there currently exists no services for these women uh, outside of the regular, you know, seasonal shelter programs that run through the winter. Uh, so our plan is to open a shelter specifically for that group, and, and um, that group
0: has traditionally not been a large percentage of homeless. Population, correct. Right? Yeah. yeah,
1: traditionally no, right. it, but right. yeah, over so. over the years, it's it's been growing, and on a national level, it's about you know one third to you know forty percent of the overall homeless population.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, that. Do you know why it's higher now?
1: I wish I could tell you why. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think a lot of it may have to do with we're actually discovering and redefining what that homelessness looks like for those women, you know, that couch surfing, crashing on, you know, Mm -hmm. with with in-laws and friends, that that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, Bouncing from hotel to hotel, sleeping in the car. Mm -hmm. A a lot of those women are not able to be counted, you know, I think just with improvements and uh, the continuum of care programs across the country—we're starting to see, yeah, you know, the
0: the need is actually much bigger than than we thought. Gotcha. Um, how do you how do you guys uh, measure like the effectiveness of your program? And we can get into that because I want to talk about this book a little yeah. bit more. But yeah. like, you know, you could say, you know, we're giving away more and more food every year, and we're housing more and more people every year. But it's kind of like wasn't well, the goal to not do that, you know? Right. So, so how do you how do you how can you tell if you're being effective?
1: Sure. I mean, our as a Christ-centered ministry, obviously, success for us would look like a man leaving a, as a new man. You know, so many organizations only change the outside or the circumstance. Uh, but we hope and pray that as a man comes into the Peninsula Rescue Mission, he hears the gospel um, and he can be transformed from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's outcomes and there's outputs, and all the outputs like nights of shelter provided, meals provided. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we certainly don't want to see those increase. You know, we want mm-hmm. to see those decrease because we're seeing less you know, h- homelessness in our city. Uh, but you know, to, to bring things in perspective, if we served 700 men in a given year, you know, of those 700, we may have the opportunity to have a close intimate relationship with maybe 10 to 15 of them um, okay and those are the men that decide to actually move forward with that long term program. okay you how know? many do
0: you do a year for that long term program
1: on a on a busy year it could get up to like 20 guys that cycle through it okay uh, at any given time we can only take uh,
0: 12 to 14 okay you know 12 to 14 guys and it's their I mean it's their choice to do it Correct. Pending, pending space yeah do you guys find yourself like having to turn many people away for that or the space that you have kind of the right amount. Yeah.
1: I think I would say it's not so much the space that we have to turn a guy away for. It's what their motivations are. You know, it's, it's November right now. (laughs) It's getting colder. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you see a lot more guys inquiring about the program, you know, because, because in their mind, they're trying to secure comfortable living arrangements for, Mm -hmm. you know, the duration of winter um, and so we have a screening process. We sit down and we talk about their goals and mm-hmm. what their reasoning is for it. Um, and, and sometimes when we find that out, you know, we can, we can offer a probation period. Mm-hmm. And everyone has to go through a probation period anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can let that probation period reveal those intentions. Sure. And, and kind of weed the guys out that are just trying to use the program for their own personal benefit. Right. Versus the ones that really do want help. Yeah, they want a hand hand up, not just a hand out.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that,
1: yeah. <laughs> I really, really like that book.
0: Yeah. Um, so um yeah, so how how is um like generally speaking, how is the peninsula doing with homelessness? Like are we just kind of like the same type of area as other suburban areas, or are we like doing better, or are we doing worse? Like how would you describe this area with homelessness?
1: Yeah, I mean I've been at the rescue mission for three years now and looking at you know data that prior to me being employed at a homeless shelter I never really paid much attention to um, you know so our our area does a point in time count every January okay. um, and, that, and that's something that's done on a national level too but we, we have a, an organization locally that sends out volunteers uh, in January um, to get a snapshot of homelessness in the area they look under bridges they go to homeless camps they go to the shelter programs and they Assemble a report of what's right. going on. What makes it difficult to figure out the trend is uh, HUD is constantly morphing and, and changing the definition of homeless, of homelessness. You know what defines homelessness, and so okay. given that this entity who provides a report is a government, you know, agency, they're subjecting their data under the definitions that are put forward by the greater entity of HUD. Um, Is that a federal? Yeah, federal. Yeah, and uh, and so they they'll show a decline in homelessness on the peninsula, um, you know, on their on their report, and it's not a staggering decrease. Okay. You know, it 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 spikes given you know some of the things that happened in our area. I mean, there was a huge gap in um, work at the shipyard a few years back. Hmm. You know, where contracts overlapped and and spaced out and created this kind of valley of, you know, no work, but we, you know, the shipyard had built up a workforce for jobs that were supposed to come and then they didn't come. And so being a major employer in the area, you do see a trickle down effect from something like that, just gotcha. you know, spiking up in like 2016,
0: 2017.
1: Right. Um, and definitely with this, with COVID, uh, I think when we run the 2022 point in time count, I'm really curious to see what kind of data comes out of that? Yeah, because uh, because we we have seen an increase in, in folks coming our way, hmm. and other agencies that you know we communicate with have also seen a similar trend. So so yeah. HUD is
0: HUD has it decreasing, but you're kind of feeling the opposite.
1: Yeah, huh. I, I, I think HUD is seeing a decrease, and uh, I don't know what the motivation behind changing the definition is. And, and you can you, other other you know people will weigh into this. Our uh, association president. You know, he talks about this frequently, is how how are we supposed to, even as rescue missions across the country, how are we supposed to help see the impact of the work that we do and the, the benefit we're providing to the the government across the nation? I mean, there's thousands of rescue missions across the country that mm-hmm. are just like us. They're fully supported by... Uh, individuals and businesses and, and don't take a dime from any you know federal local or state you know funding so right. it's really challenging to see the effectiveness of ministry when you know the powers that be are are reshaping and redefining you know who a homeless person is
0: yeah it'd be nice to have consistent data yeah i've been saying that for the COVID thing too <laughs> yeah yeah for sure how how do you work with the government and and in- providing housing? Because there's government housing, right? So how, mm-hmm. how is that, if somebody's homeless, can't they just get government housing or does it not work like that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little more, little more uh, complicated than that. I mean, there is something we, we've been um, trying to educate folks on is a group of entities that they provide what's called a continuum of care. So these are all the agencies in a geographical region that work with homeless individuals. And uh, our particular one, the the Greater Virginia Peninsula Consortium on Homelessness. It's like it's a mouthful. Um, they have a lower peninsula and an upper peninsula meeting. It's biweekly, and essentially what this group does is they they bring forward a referral. You know, someone comes to one of those agencies. They do a, a standardized intake screening, mm-hmm. uh, and it rates the uh, the level of homelessness. You know, the severity of their situation, and depending on that individual's needs they will go to that continuum of care meeting and say we would like to you know reach out to or refer this organization and are seeking assistance with rapid rehousing um, and so if that referral meets the criteria and mm-hmm. that other agency has the funding left over they can put them into a program such as rapid rehousing you know, assistance
0: so rapid rehousing is is government housing correct yeah is it Long term or short term? Uh, Short
1: term, -term. yeah. And it's providing vouchers to get the ball going, you know, to get them into a subsidized living situation. Uh, So the the rapid rehousing is covering all the upfront fees to get in there. Okay. Um, You know, but it's not going to be a continuous payment of rent. You gotcha. So the mission is known by these other entities. Mm -hmm. We have not been at that table within the continuum of care, largely because we we don't do a screening process like they like they do okay we are very uh we want to we want to work together because we know that one organization alone can't solve the issue of homelessness Mm -hmm. there's so many complexities to it Uh, but because of our core beliefs and the support we get we also don't want to perpetuate the problem right so if we have someone that comes in to prm we don't want to refer them to a program that's only going to keep them in a cycle of dependency. Uh-huh. You know, we're trying to break that cycle and, mm-hmm. and encourage guys to men right now, encourage them to, to work and, and how can we help you get to a point of self-sufficiency? Um, and so while we do, we do work with, we, we play nice with them, you know we, we accept folks from the VA hospital. You know, they're one of the agencies mm-hmm. that's there at that table and um, you know, we have a guest right now who's going into an AA program. At the VA hospital, but needed some time for them to prepare space for them to come in. So, of course, you know they call us. We have a bed open. Absolutely, we'll we'll take you know Mr. Such and Such, and we'll you know send them back to you when when your room over there is ready. Right. So
0: yeah, yeah. It seems like they would definitely have a different process and different messaging to guests than yeah. what you guys would. And we
1: don't. all We also don't want to pad their statistics as well, um, and so. We have been contacted in the past, you know, by agencies that want to know data, how many, you know, people are coming through, demographic information, all that stuff, and, you know, we're, we're careful to keep that to ourselves only because we just have a different method and approach to solving the the problem, and we don't want to add numbers to our community, mm-hmm. which is only going to make the city request additional funding to the state level and the state level. Assist, you know, request additional assistance from the federal level. Hmm. You know, does that make Which sense? Which
0: causes a bigger problem.
1: Yeah, and so it's not that we, we're we trying to be, you know, rogue. Right. We're just trying to be good stewards of, yeah. you know, people support us for a reason. You know, they, they are, the supporters that we get know that it's the, the gospel that changes somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you can't just preach the gospel. You also have to provide programs yeah. and, and assistance. And so, yeah, we just operate in a, with a different methodology right and we want to keep that distinct.
0: Do you guys um, have any like uh, legislative things that you push for or advocate for that, that you think that the local or state or government level should reform things? like are there any do you guys do any of that or is it just strictly the services?
1: For now it's just the, the services. Um, you know we, we are with this plan to open the women's shelter. We've had more conversations, obviously, with the city, yeah. um, because you know we want we want them to be on our side, mm-hmm. and, and so far they've been very supportive of that. And we've recently learned that the city of Newport News is put together a task force on homelessness, hmm. and you know they, yeah, and they they requested. Yeah, you know, that that we'd be at the table for that. Oh, cool. Um, and and historically, we haven't been a part of those types of conversations, and we haven't been in that room. Mm. Um, and so when I, I told my CEO about this conversation I had with the city manager's office, he said, "Well, yeah, I think it's time for us to be at that table." You mm-hmm. know, and and I I agree. I said, "You know, we to we, influence to influence." Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Just, just to just to be a good influence.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you had mentioned a couple times about them. Uh, redefining homelessness. Um, I found this video, um, and I'll have to uh, edit this in here so that the audience can hear, but um, are you familiar with Peter Boghossian? No. So he, he defines homelessness, actually he starts with uh, the word bum, which is what they used, like, I guess, a long time ago, mm. and then homeless, and then the unhoused. Mm. It's, Interesting. It's, uh, so I'm going to play it for you. and then Yeah.
2: Unhoused or sometimes houseless. Unhoused means having no house. If you're older, like me, you probably remember people living on the streets being referred to as bums. The word bum means these individuals don't want to work unless they are living on the streets. The word bum was replaced with homeless. If someone is homeless, that's a description. A person without a home is homeless. There is no judgment in stating a person is homeless. It's a description and it leaves blame and choice out of the equation. The word unhoused has a different meaning. If someone is unhoused, that means the system is responsible for their living on the streets. The system caused them not to have housing. The prefix un suggests that something intentional changed in their circumstance, like untied or unearthed. It is helpful to compare these words. We have moved from bum, which means someone's lack of housing is their fault, usually due to laziness, to homeless which describes the condition of not having housing, to unhoused, which means the system is at fault for one's lack of housing.
0: So do, do you have like a reaction to that description yeah. of the terms or
1: what What are your thoughts on it's, that? It's very interesting. It, seem, it seems that the progression is a progression or a pendulum swing of bum putting all the responsibility on that person right. to homeless is neutral
0: right more neutral and
1: then you know swinging to unhoused oh the problem is not the individual the problem is systemic right you know Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's 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 very it's very interesting i know that there's uh language in terms of homelessness as well like we i try to in our communications with donors uh, not refer to folks as homeless okay i try to use the phrase experiencing experiencing homelessness yeah because you know sometimes it's their fault uh, and sometimes it's the fault or the sin of others that puts Mm -hmm. them in a situation that they're in um and so yeah i think there's there's some truth to what that uh that video kind of that pendulum that that oscillates back and forth you know there's definitely a responsibility on that individual that's coming through our door Probably 80% of the time, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but there's that one in five situation where you just hear a story and it, it breaks your heart that, man, this guy is in the situation. is because he he put trust in somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he took a lead right, uh, right. on, on an opportunity. Or something. And yeah. was duped Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with no resources and no safety net, you know, you very quickly find yourself coming to a place like PRM because you're unhoused, if you, you know, <laughs> on that end of the thing. Right. So.
0: Yeah. And I did some some research I, that I mean, that video just kind of came across my Twitter feed like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I looked yeah. up the word unhoused and like, is this a thing? And like The New York Times had an article uh, just this month on like a new way to look at homelessness. And it was all about the unhoused concept. And there was an, a, another article that I read where um, it was like a member of Congress who I guess used to be uh, homeless. She said, today as a Congresswoman, I remember what it was like for us to live out of my car when I'm thinking about how to legislate on behalf of my district. I think about how society wanted me to believe that being unhoused was my fault. We have a deeply rooted misconception in our country that unhoused people have done something to deserve their conditions, when the reality is that unhoused people are living the consequences of our government's failure to secure the basic necessities people need to survive. Hmm. And then and, and this is in Time magazine, so, you know, fairly mainstream yeah. publication. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, and that kind of leads me to the book where it's like. Yeah, it's a good segue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where my mind was going to. <laughs> so, um, so this book is called The Tragedy of American Compassion. And you had recommended this to me uh, back when we first met and I finished it a, couple, a few months ago. And this, this book was like, I love this book. This, this book was very eye opening to me because, um, I mean, if you had asked me, like, if I approve of like the welfare system in America, I would have said, you know, no, they're probably not, they're letting people live off there who aren't trying to work. But this book also applies to actual charity too. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be like government, bad, private, good. Right. It's more of, you know, the, the strategy behind it. Yeah. So I just wanted to, um jump to the first part of the book where it talks about how the American, I guess the colonists and continuing on used Mm. to look at compassion and what it meant. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was the compassion used, and I don't know how recently you read this, so I don't know how fresh (laughs) it's in your mind. I'm I'm acting as if you wrote the book, Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but they can, they define compassion as, um, as suffering with someone. Versus now, it's more like I just feel bad for someone. So that was Mm. eye-opening to me, just that definition of that term. But the thing that that really stuck out to me is this quote where it says um, this gentleman was trying to um, encourage good charity. And so he said, let us try to do good with as much application of mind as wicked men employ in doing evil. And I was like, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, Because I'm like, cause like, I mean, I'm, I'm analytical. I like to analyze things and be strategic and stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't think that my charity is is very, or our charity is very strategic. And, and you guys are doing that, you know, unaware, uh, unbeknownst to me. You're not just, you know, accepting everyone and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which mm-hmm. I think is cool. But, um, yeah, I don't exactly have a specific question about this book <laughs> to yeah, you. I know. But, like, it's interesting how you... We segued
1: into this, you know, like this, uh, this congresswoman putting the the blame on the system. You know, it's the government's fault. I think what Marvin Alaski in that book is, you know, ultimately not ultimately, but maybe one of the one of the sub points he wants to make is the ultimate tragedy is the American church mm-hmm. has let go of doing work mm-hmm. with those in need. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've sort of like surrendered. Mm-hmm. the the hard work of compassion mm-hmm. to a government agency, right? And here we are, about fifty years after that shift, and Christians are are upset about, oh, my tax dollars are being used ineffectively, and you know um, none of these programs are working, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so, I think the the uh, what needs to be informed is if we want to see change compassion is hard work doing, doing, right. re, doing work with people is hard yeah you know the parable of the Good Samaritan like that that's hard work you know it's that's not roll the window down hand a gospel tracked out and say have a great day um, <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or even or, or even, even just giving money and food. giving money <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's walking with somebody and caring for their needs and leaving them in a better situation than what you found them in. Yeah, that's, that's tough work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some of the concepts in the book, like careless charity. Um, I just posted to Facebook um, this quote about, yeah, the, um, that the material transfer from rich to poor is morally neutral by itself and can be harmful. Mm. Um, I mean, like I, I mean, I think our society thinks this way. I don't know if I did or not, but like rich giving money to poor Always good. Like that was kind of my mindset before, but the book talks about how if you know, bad charity drives out good charity and you can have careless charity and it even says promiscuous charity. <laughs> like yeah. about, it's really interesting uh, language where you're not doing anybody any favors by just help enabling them to stay stuck where they are. Yeah.
1: Well I think by by God's grace our country is in a position where material wealth is easier to come by than it was like in, in the colonial days, mm-hmm. you know, where it's uh it, it's survival for the most part. I mean, you're right. People were congregating in, in small communities, growing their own food, you know, running, running small businesses, you know, now economically there's more opportunity. And so we have to be very careful about that transfer of, of wealth because it could come across as, I don't want to deal with the problem. So, Here's a few bucks. Yeah, you know, go. You're I see a sign. You're hungry. Here's a few bucks. Go eat. Don't, don't bother me anymore. Right. You know, and that, that's not going to keep people. That's that's only going to bring more people
0: to the, <laughs> right. the street corner. You know. So. Yeah. I was thinking about how, um, you know, I want to be compassionate. I want to suffer with people, um, and I'm, we've worked hard to be generous with our money towards others. And and now, ever since I read this and met you, we're being more strategic. Mm. But I also sort of feel like. I'm outsourcing my compassion almost like I'm I don't have time to be compassionate, so I pay others to be compassionate for me yeah if that makes sense yeah and I mean that's it's I mean that you you should be generous with your whatever you have whether it's time or money Uh, but I think that God is leading us and I don't know what it is but we want to also be generous and compassionate with our time not Mm. not just money so that's just something that I've been thinking about
1: yeah, and I, I encourage our our donors and, and prospective donors. Like when I go talk to a church, a church group, or any setting really, that I'm aware in a particular room, not everyone is going to have the same level of you know compassion towards homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other other plenty of other work out there oh, that sure. needs to be done in the areas of you know meeting the needs of uh, the poor, the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. Uh, you know, and so and all of us are limited in time, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, like you and I both have young families too. <laughs> so we know that there's a time constraint on like on everything. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think it's just being, I think what you guys are doing is, is encouraging. It's just, let's just think strategically mm-hmm. and, and guard ourselves of the, the guilt of I'm, I'm just outsourcing, mm-hmm. um, but I'm praying over these funds. Uh, I'm giving them to organizations that do have the time capacity and, and the infrastructure mm-hmm. to meet them, uh, meet those needs. And, you know, prayer is, is equally as important mm-hmm. as uh, financial giving, you know, to, to keep our ministry rolling. Um, and so I just encourage folks, you know, you do what you can and be faithful with what God's asking you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if that is, I pass by the same intersection every day on my way to work and I see this guy, roll your window down and ask him what his name is. Mm-hmm. You know, don't feel obligated to, to give him something you're you know, every time. Right. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a stigma within the homeless community that, you know, people look at us like the video said, like a bum um, mm-hmm. when, you know, I'm just struggling, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I need help. And so one, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll put a quick plug in. Uh, so we, we recently did a little project and we surveyed our guests yeah. that come in and asked them various questions like, well, what caused your, what causes homelessness? Uh, what feelings do you have uh, when you realize you have no, no other options? Um, you know, we ask them, "What do you think others who are not homeless think about you?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and we put together this video. It's on the the, the Rescue Mission's YouTube channel. Uh, and it's called "In Their Shoes," and okay. so it's just a you know six different guests that we've um, you know had and asked them these raw questions, and you could just see them thinking through thinking through that. And so I just I just you know think about what if one person just engaged them? You know that that could change their whole day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, you, treat them
0: like an outcast. Right. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. One person just rolled the window down and said, "You know, hey, what's your name?" You know, hey, I'm I'm Eric. Like, nice to meet you. You know, yeah. I, I see you every day on the way to work. Um, you know, just wanted to say hello. You know, and, gotcha. and then you just mm-hmm. build those things up over time. And mm-hmm. you know, but is ultimately anything just boils down to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we feel like we're being called to do? And yeah. are we doing that diligently yeah. and faithfully? Yeah,
0: that's, that's real good. That's uh challenge. We don't want to be
1: enslaved to anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were, we were, we've been set free by Christ. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not put under the law again, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, there's, there's a tension of, am I doing enough? You know, yeah. um, you know, but I just, you know, I just want to encourage our community and just take those small steps of putting your feet in the water of building a relationship with someone who's been in in that situation, or is in that situation, yeah. And new ideas and new things will come to you on how to practically meet needs and and do the work of compassion.
0: Uh, so, um, what other things can regular people do to help? Volunteer opportunities, yeah. Uh, giving the, the your own, just talking to God and seeing what He wants you to have you do to talk to people and stuff like that. Anything else? I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, we we have volunteer opportunities uh, regularly, and you know, we're very fortunate that. You know we don't have a huge gap in volunteer opportunities, uh, so we, we we're well taken care of. But there'll be, you know, lots of unique needs coming down the pipeline with opening up another facility. You know and that's going to require a whole, cal- a whole other whole another calendar of openings to fill for serving yeah. the ladies and, and administering ministering to them. Um, you know we we have recently moved one of our staff from you know for lack of better terms one seat on the bus to another. So we've moved our thrift store director to a new role as the director of men's ministries, and I know he's going to have new opportunities down the road to perhaps do more of that compassion work that you're talking about, mm-hmm. maybe more opportunities to get one-on-one with a guy who's going to be there long term. Mm-hmm. you know, because it's hard if a guy's only checked in with us for 12 days, you're not going to really be able to create a meaningful relationship with them mm-hmm. in that time. But if we know a guy's coming for six to twelve months. And, and you guys click and, you, you know, you can serve as a mentor for that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that may scratch that itch of, man, I feel like I, I want to do more than just give money. I want to give a little bit of my time in a manageable way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that is one way. And, and really, it's just learning about the rescue mission and sharing about our work with others. Mm. Um, you know, we, we have not had a development director ever. Uh, I'm the first development director. And how long have you been? 55 years. I mean, how long have you? Have yeah, been? I been three years? Three years. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, and so part of my my job is promoting our ministry in the community. Yeah. You know, because it's the community that supports us. So, you know, perhaps one of the best ways you can help more people is uh, by sharing about us. Uh, you can shop at our thrift store. Yes, you can, I went there yeah, the last week. Yeah, you can <laughs> don- drop stuff off. <laughs> you can donate to our thrift store and you know that's that's one of the work assignments that the men in our program are given and so okay. it keeps them busy and all the sales go right back to you know into that program so right. yeah there's it, it really is uh sitting down and asking the lord first and what am i what am i being called to to do um reach out to us contact us and you know we we love to talk about that and find other ways you can get plugged in mm-hmm.
0: and your website is www.prm.info. .info, okay. .info, yeah. Gotcha. cool. All right, well, I mean, I think that was a really cool conversation. I liked yeah, it a lot. Yeah. Um, thanks for meeting with me. I could probably talk about this book more, because this is <laughs> part two. Part two, yeah. And my next my next reading is the um, uh, When, when Hel- Helping hurts. hurts. Yeah. Yeah, to see what other truths I can glean. but
1: Yeah, and when you finish that one, I'd love to have a follow up conversation about that because that that's been uh, the most transformative book for us as a leadership team okay. at the mission. So mm-hmm. we've we've we our executive team's gone through that together. Okay, and uh, it's just really challenged our way of thinking. And uh, but we, it's
0: so it's different from this. or kind of like takes it in the next step. Or
1: it it I, th- I would say Marvin Alaski is on the um, the further end of tough love.
0: Okay, you know, gotcha. or
1: when helping hurts it's it's not as much tough love as it is let's um really identify the type of poverty work that's needed Mm -hmm. and apply it's proper diagnosis right diagnose the issue and 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 apply treatment uh, according to the diagnosis don't do Mm -hmm. um rehabilitation work in an environment that requires immediate relief Mm -hmm. you know and so that's where helping hurts is going to dive into, you know, that kind of
0: deal. That that was kind of a question that I had is are there ways that the colonial people did it where it's like, you know, you can't work, you know, you're out of here. (laughs) That might have been too harsh that needed uh, the pendulum maybe, you know, swung back too far or something like that. I mean,
1: I'll say for us, we've, we've had those conversations internally. You know, we've, we wrestle with, man, this guy, he checks out, he's eligible to come back in, in 30 days and we've seen this guy come back like clockwork, every time, you know? Like, are we are we hurting him right. more than helping him by allowing him to continue to check back in? Um, and and honestly, when we look at, we have one gentleman on staff with us right now who was that guy uh, before. Oh, he was in a cycle. He was in that cycle. cycle. He was Yeah. that uh, He was an alcoholic. Every 30 days he was sober up, come back in. And, uh, you know, us allowing him to For lack of better terms, use our services. Mm -hmm. Eventually led to him coming to know the Lord, joining our program. Mm -hmm. uh, Did such a phenomenal job in the program that the previous director said, "Why don't you come on staff with us?" Mm. Uh, And now he's like a resident staff person. So he lives there, works the check-in desk, engages with guys every night that he's working there who were in the same position he was a decade Mm. ago. You know, and so that. That's the, the judgment call. It's like, man, we. Yeah. It'd be nice just to have a rule. And yeah, yeah. Do, do we get taken advantage of for the sake of Christ? You know, or do we yeah. put that tough love up, and say, you know, hey, you only get this many days a year. Beyond that, you got to
0: figure it out. God can use know. it either way. Either know, way, if you make yeah. a mistake and you end up kind of straying too yeah. far one way or the other. Yeah. And like all these books that me, me and you've been talking
1: about, I don't think any particular one's prescriptive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you just have to glean wisdom from, from each of those guys and apply it in your context. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not Atlanta or New York. Sure. You know, the homeless situation that we're dealing with. Yeah. is not the same, you know, we're a suburban peninsula, right. you know, and it's a strange geographically arranged area, um, uh, with a lot of municipalities lumped yeah. into a very small footprint. So mm-hmm we're we're unique in our own way so yeah. we got to just glean from the wisdom of others and do what we can to meet the need
0: well thanks for talking to me we'll have to do this again sometime yeah. and then do part yeah. 2 absolutely sounds good